Welcome, friends, to Generations. This is Kevin Swanson. Bill Jack also in studio with me this time. We're going to take a look at the new paganism that's on the rise in America today, which is nothing short of the old paganism in terms of its worldview, but different flavors, different flavors. Of course, in increasing numbers of people are acknowledging that they are pagans. And you hear this on the streets, Bill. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's it's very common. Same, same gift, just a new packaging. The, yeah, sa- yeah, the yeah. same mm-hmm. same uh, mantra, and they try to distance themselves from from what they would call Satanism. They just say we worship nature, mm-hmm. and so we're Wiccans or we're pagans, and that is that there's this force, impersonal force of nature. So it's it's really Eastern mysticism melded with Western um, Western mindset. Uh, paganism is nothing new. Um, it's the belief that that um, what we see around us is the material world, but it's part. It, it, we're all part of God. Mm-hmm. Okay, pantheism. but it's an Im- impersonal it's pantheism. God. Yeah, mm-hmm. we've just been splintered. Right. We need to get back to the oneness of all yeah, things. Yeah, the oneness of all, all the rest. things. Yeah, and of course, coming into America by Henry David Thoreau and uh, Emerson, Emerson, and the rest of the crowd, the transcendentalists of the early eighteen hundreds. The early church was born into a pagan society, and it took approximately 300 years for Christianity to establish a Judeo-Christian worldview, which shaped what it was, until most recently, Western culture. In the new paganism, Daniel Nathaniel Lemonsky points out that an essential characteristic of paganism is ascribing mysticism power to nature, which is what we just talked about. In the past, it was lightning, wind, the sun, fertility, other aspects of nature, often gods or goddesses were associated with those elements. Uh, but science evidently was supposed to demystify this, uh, but with transgenderism, transhumanism, other new innovations, we have a resurgence of a new sort of paganism as well. In other words, science is not uh, in any way sacrosanct. In fact, I think science has increasingly destroyed itself by undermining the basis of science, and that is experimentation, observation, and uh, reproducibility in a laboratory in which we establish some degree of probability between cause and effect relationships and things of that nature. But when you get out of that realm, which is where environmentalism is, evolutionism is, you're getting back to that age-old paganism of the past. Evolutionism itself is a form of paganism. Oh, it's it's the foundation for every other worldview out there outside of a theistic worldview, outside of a biblical Christian worldview. The idea is if we can evolve physically, then we certainly can evolve spiritually. And we're all part of the same thing, and there is no creature-creator distinction. Paganism in the modern intersections would, first of all, be Gnosticism, secret knowledge, witchcraft, and that's all on the rise. Yeah, We see that. I I see that when when we interview students, high school students in Canyon City, for example. Okay? They they claim to be Wiccans, and I ask what that means, and they say, well, we worship nature. We're part of nature. They claim to be pagans, another mm-hmm. word for Wiccans. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, they say it's not witchcraft. It's not witchcraft. We're just part of nature. And mm-hmm. we believe that nature has power and we can harness that power uh, and, and use it. And that's, that's, the, that's the lure of the occult, this Gnostic knowledge. And that is I can, I can obtain power. And there is a, a desire to have power. 
we all want that if and we unless we submit to the absolute power the creator of the universe we will all try to become our own little gods and that's that's the lure of the occult is the lure that i can control i can have power over either circumstances or people or events in my life or feelings and i am the one I can become my own God. It's only an impression, of course, because nobody is sovereign outside of the true and living God. And of course, it gives people the impression that they have some kind of spiritual control that can come through the demonic forces. But even the demons are subject to the authority and the sovereign control of Almighty God. Uh, But that's our worldview speaking against the other worldview, which uh, is deceptive form. Uh, another deception that comes from the father of lies, and that is the devil. But this paganism is coming back, Gnosticism, witchcraft. Also, child sacrifice, I would say, would be another intersection with the modern world in the form of abortion. A very important, very essential element of the modern pagan religion. Uh, sexual perversion. Sexual perversion as well. I would call it the bondage of sexual idolatries. Transgenderism is rooted deep into Mesopotamian idolatry as well. Ishtar, of course, introduced homosexuality and transgenderism into the priesthood. This would have been directly after the Tower of Babel. Uh, The same thing happens with the Aztecs and some Indian tribes in the Americas. People have found out that they're really very much into transgenderism and such, but that comes out of Ishtar, which which is somewhat related to um, some kind of Nephilim idea uh, coming out of the pre-flood era, and we could talk about that later. But transgenderism, very important part of paganism. Earth worship, environmentalism as well. The alignment of God with the uh, material world, the whole pantheistic idea shows up in Avatar, right, Bill? I mean, that's yeah. the the most popular series of movies ever produced in the history of mankind is a pantheistic, environmentalistic, uh, pagan religion that is uh, attended by the masses uh, today. There's also what I would call an ecstatic worship, uh, hypnosis, and the separation of the mind from uh, the experience, the the religious experience, which is very popular in uh, some forms of, uh, I would say, evan- evangelical worship. Uh, I mean, we we see it so obviously there's in, in an the secular culture mm-hmm. with with oh, like a Taylor Swift concert. Where yes, you, you right, have ecstatic right. mm-hmm. um, demonstrations. Right, okay? you right, have people right. falling over. You have uh-huh. people screaming. You have people. It's it. You know, you go back. This is the 60th anniversary, by the way of the Beatles coming to America. Mm-hmm. And you saw it then. Yeah. Well, you didn't, but I did. Well, okay? it's very interesting. I just watched a documentary drama on Elvis Presley, or at least a portion of it. And uh, sure enough, there was a huge amount of ecstasy. Of course, he was all about that on the stage, right. but they drew people in in a way in which even his promoters were shocked. They could not believe what they were seeing on the stage and off the stage uh, it was an ecstasy beyond anything they'd ever seen before. Uh, a mixture of a recognition of many gods with the attempt to turn man into a god. I would say this humanism, polytheism mix that seems to be so popular uh, today. Our official religion, you know, in America, taught in the public schools and enforced by the Supreme Court of the United States is what? Secularism. Which is humanism and polytheism pretending to accept all the gods of Pantheon at the very same time. So modern paganism is autonomy on steroids as well. This is one other comment made in this particular 
story. Uh, this modern paganism says is far worse than the one of old. The ancient pagans were required to be humble, to submit to a force larger than themselves. But the modern pagan says, uh, with Satan, I will not serve, they will not serve God, man, the laws of nature, or the dictates of reason. Gender ideology especially is imbued with a mystical and amorphous character such that rational attempts to combat its rhetoric quickly reach a dead end. Its advocates operate on the principle that they are sovereign gods over themselves. Uh, to what higher power then can we appeal to show them the truth? So for the 21st century church, this guy says the mission field is in your neighborhood, the stores where you shop, the public schools, the work- workplace as much, perhaps more than it is other lands. I would say uh, it's in the pew. And it's in the churches, because, absolutely. Because we're seeing the same same desire for a an experience, an experiential worship, and a paganistic response to to music in the church to the point where where concerts become the event. Well, these new pagans were just surrounded by the worship of self and the preeminence of feeling. I mean, think about it. I feel, I feel, I actually feel like, I feel like, I feel like the ultimacy of feeling, the ultimacy of autonomy, uh, that is to be a law unto oneself, the alignment of God with the material world a refusal to deal with the ultimate, God the ultimate, the infinite, the invisible, and the sovereign. So the pride of the modern world, the pride of the modern peoples is so much beyond anything we've ever seen in the history of the world. This is the pride of self, and it's just out of control, my friends. You don't feel, you don't find self-esteem lectures in 6th century B.C. Athens or 3rd century Ireland or 14th century the Aztec world there, you find people groveling before their gods, but you don't find self-esteem lectures. We actually just walked through a bunch of Mayan temples uh, out in the uh, the backwoods of the Yucatan Peninsula, uh, which would have been about two weeks ago. And uh, yeah, you don't you don't see people expressing self-esteem. You see them rather their their heads are under the feet of the gods. And uh, they are groveling before the gods, and that's that's the way it worked for about six thousand years, until you come to the twenty first century, where the pride of man is completely out of control to the point that insanity has taken place. Joel Osteen's church in Mars Hill is is, is a Mars Hill today. I mean, if you were to stand up in Joel Osteen's church, and I think some evangelical churches and Catholic churches. Uh, they are so far from a conception of the true and living God or a biblical worldview, Bill, I think you'd have to basically say what Paul said on Mars Hill in Acts 17. If if they gave you the pulpit in uh, Osteen's church or anywhere else, that is somewhat that way. I mean, the, the, which is, the American which is the way of thinking between then is, and now, because they're not going to give you the pulpit. Well, they're not going they to. They gave Paul the pul- pulpit. That, that's true. They gave Paul yeah. the pulpit, but they wouldn't give you the pulpit right. at Joel Osteen's church. But it is a Mars Hill where you're going to have to introduce them to the true and living God for the very first time. And probably mention the fact that self-worship is ultimate foolishness, goes against all wisdom, that they should first and foremost humble themselves before the hand of Almighty God. Pride goes before destruction in a haughty spirit before a fall. And that's exactly where human society is today, geared up for the worst fall in all of human history. Be back with more in just a moment on Generations. We've seen it, folks. God is working in the hearts of dads and sons, and he's turning the hearts turning the hearts of fathers back to the sons and the hearts of sons back to the fathers and turning us all back to God. 
That's what we're looking for, and that's the theme of the Father-Son Retreat we've been sponsoring out here in the mountains of Colorado for the last 20 years, and I've been part of this for all this time. Now, God has done amazing things through the years. Uh, well, I've seen it. 350 dads and sons getting into God's Word together. Nothing like it. Camaraderie, brothers on brothers. It's a band of brothers coming together. Powerful talks, prayer, father-son walks and talks, meaningful engagement. It's almost going without saying that dads and sons don't get enough time together. And hey, we don't get enough time out in God's nature playing games and going for hikes in God's fresh air. And we don't get quite enough time in God's Word either. So don't miss this year's father-son retreats this August in the Colorado Rockies up in the Sangre de Cristo Mountains. Check it out at coloradofatherson.com and register today and be one of the first 125 people to sign up and save $100 per father and son. Secure your spot with the biggest discount available right now at coloradofatherson.com. And we are back on Generations. Bill, I want to attack this article from thefederalist.com, which draws in, again, another intersection with paganism in the present day. But before I do so, you need to know about Neuralink and Syncron, two companies that are doing something very unusual. And I think our listening audience needs to be brought up to speed on this because Neuralink just inserted the first chip into a human brain. This was three days ago. Syncron has done it, although they're not inserting the chip, they're inserting other aspects of technology into the human brain through the blood flow. But Synchron has already finished 10 successful attempts. And these folks that have received uh, this, this computer technology into their brains, they have already sent emails, surf the web by thinking and by Bluetooth initiated commands. So it's happened. It's already happened. Uh, this technology is now in place. There's no going back. They think they can create an image in the brain for a blind person as well, circumventing the eye. They believe they can do that now. Uh, the goal of Elon Musk's Neuralink company is to eventually enable the paralyzed to use a computer or cell phone using only the power of thought. The company's chip includes electronic components hermetically sealed inside a device the size of a large coin. It's called the Link. From this implant, Planted inside the brain, several dozens of extremely thin wires protrude directly into the brain tissue. Signals from the chip are then sent via Bluetooth to a brain computer interface that will allow a person to control a cursor on the screen or even more uh, to move a robotic limb implanted in his body. So that's an introduction to what's happened. And again, they've already sent emails. Through Synchron, I think the very same thing's happening with Elon Musk's technology. But Elon Musk's Neuralink uh, heralds the beginning of a dystopian post-human society, according to this article from The Federalist. John Daniel Davidson writes the article. Very interesting stuff here, Bill. Yeah, he, he points out that it, it's, it's giving a veneer of altruism to what is actually a radical project to merge humans with machines. Yeah. And of course, it can go either way. And that's, I guess, part of the intention is that initially the human will be in control of the computer, but it, certainly the computer could never be in control of the human, <laughs> except for the fact that it's already happened. Right. Have you been to a restaurant lately and watched uh, four teenagers with their iPhones? Who's in control here, Bill? What's in control? Uh, are the computer programmers in control of what we are doing? Do you, do you think that people are increasingly under slave-like uh, control of uh, the programmers, the social programmers, or maybe the real programmers that are determining what their lives will look like and what sort of information they will be receiving 
and what sort of life they will be living. Do you think that increasingly people are subject to the technology or do you think they're bringing the technology under dominion as God would have us to do? Which, which is it, Bill? Which is it, Bill? Which is it, Bill? <laughs> Talk to me. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, w- I was texting. I, I, okay. So you didn't yeah, get the last I, I didn't. Bit. I didn't hear. Uh, I didn't Could you repeat so. that? Or, mm-hmm. You hey, were just, just receiving it, your just, inputs? Just send it to me in a text. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay. All right. Well, um, initial users of Neuralink, which Musk co-founded, will be people who have lost use of their limbs. And he says that gives a veneer of altruism to what is actually a radical project to emerge humans with machines. But that's not really the goal. The goal is to usher in a transhuman future by creating human-machine hybrids that will be superior to natural or non-enhanced humans. In reality, what Musk and Neuralink are doing amounts to building a second tower of Babel or revisiting the serpent's offer in the Garden of Eden. You will not surely die. You will be as gods. He is overstating the case here, Bill, or do you think this is a real possibility? I, oh, I, th- I think it's definitely a possibility. We've seen it in a variety of ways through technology and how it's controlled. As you just mentioned, our being enamored with our computer that we call a phone. But we've seen that with television being manipulated by images. We've seen this throughout history, and it started in the 60s, and there were a lot of books written about this issue and how the image becomes the message. And we're seeing it now with cell phones, as you pointed out. We're seeing it, I've seen it for years with television and just the visual aspect of being manipulated by by the by the world around us and those images can be skewed to whoever's in charge so it when you say a computer controls us no it's someone behind the computer mm-hmm. who controls a computer who controls us right that's right so so the godhood that's being sought after is not so much the rank and file the rank and file will be used by the social planners, the social techno planners, the economic planners, and the autocratic political planners that will eventually form some kind of a totalitarian hold upon the masses. So that that would be the intent. Now, of course, in line with the Tower of Babel, the first Tower of Babel, what do you think is going to happen, Bill? <laughs> eventually, God just brings it down. Of course, the assumption is there is no God. Yeah. If the assumption is no God, then what happens? then one of several things happen in the minds of people out there. Either we become gods or we submit everybody else to our godness, which is really what it boils down to, isn't it? It's either the individual pretends that he's God or the state or some uh, megalomaniac turns out to be the God, at least for the time being, until some other megalomaniac pushes him out of the way and then submits the masses to a slave class. And I guess that's the intent here, according to the article. Uh, is a couple of important uh, clips from the article. Let me just give you some of it. What will such a future look like? Yuval Noah Harari, the creepy underling of World Economic Forum Chief Klaus Schwab, has an idea. He once described the future in which ever more powerful computing technology will create a massive new class of what he calls useless people. That sounds like your yeah, typical yeah. proud social planner, right? Yeah. Stepping Use, in to say, Here, eaters. excuse me very much, but uh, we are 
Plato's uh, social planners uh, intended to keep you happy with drugs and computer games. Harari has also said the future will bring a new class of what he believes are superhuman beings, which he describes as entities that are more different from us than we are different from chimpanzees. In other words, he's evolutionary in his mindset. He, he does believe that it's possible to develop a higher class. And guess what happens to the chimpanzees once we've developed ourselves into the higher class? The, the idea, of course, is to eliminate. And that, that's what happens with guys like this. So then you end up like with this. Planet of the Apes, right? You know, something like that, yeah. Reversal. In a 2021 interview with Anderson Cooper, Harari declared that we will soon have the power to re-engineer our bodies and brains, whether it is with genetic engineering or by directly connecting brains to computers or by creating completely non-organic entities, artificial intelligence, which is not based at all on the organic body and the organic brain. And these technologies are developing at breakneck speeds. Um, Ted Talk by Harari, he made the bold claim that only material things are real, that kidneys and mountains are real, but human rights are not. Human rights, he says, are just a story. So it's, it's the idea that there cannot that's be. That's quite frightening. There, there will not yeah. be any, any ultimate standards at all because there is no God and we have turned ourselves into God. So, I mean, that, that's precisely what humanism is all about. And, this guy's probably one of the most self-conscious very, humanisms, humanists I've seen. It's very materialistic because he says you can cut open a human and you will find kidneys, you'll find a heart, you'll find organs, but you won't find human rights. Uh-huh. That, and he, again, he says, pure that's humanism. just a story. Uh, yeah, pure, pure humanistic materialism right? yeah. operating there. Of course, it's all very foolish. Uh, there's far more to life than the, immat- the material and the visible. Uh, the assumption here is that if you can create something independent of God or outside of God's plan for mankind, or to somehow advance man's status on earth or advance the evolutionary development for man or beat the problem of death, then, Bill, we don't need God anymore. No. Then somehow we've beat God at his game. We have turned ourselves into God. And what, what's the effect of this? Well, it offers a rationale to exempt yourself from God's law and to be a law unto oneself. So that's what it all if, ties into. It all ties into man trying to deliver himself from the possibility of God and ethical obligation to God. If there is no God, then whatever is, is. You can do whatever you want to. Because if there is no God, there's no absolute justice. There's no absolute moral. There's no absolute right and wrong. There's nothing except the experience. And the answer to all this is prove it. (laughs) Prove it. And that's precisely what God told Job in Job chapter 40, and I'll just leave you with this. I, I mean, just bring it all up to the close. What, what is it? We're going to compete with God? Uh-uh. The Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, now prepare yourself like a man. <laughs> Gird up your loins. <laughs> I, I, I will question you and you shall answer me. Would you indeed annul my judgment? Would you condemn me that you may be justified? Have you an arm like God? How many galaxies have you made recently? Just give me, give me a sense of that. Would you condemn me, or can you thunder with a voice like God? Then adorn yourself with majesty and splendor and array yourself with glory and beauty. Disperse the rage of your wrath. Look on everyone who is proud and bring them low. Tread down the wicked in their place. Can you do any of this? Hide them in the dust together. Bind their faces in hidden darkness. Then, that is, if you can do all of this, and by the way, he lists a few other things in these chapters, then I will also confess to you that your own right hand can save you. Enough said. Enough said. Enough said. No, man is not God. Not even close. Not even close. And I tell you what, 
these guys attempt to be God, they're going to be feeding like a cow in the back 40 with Neb. Mm-hmm. You follow me? Yeah. They're going to be in the back 40 eating grass like an ox. And that's best case. That's best case scenario. That's best case. Okay. Well, that wraps up this edition of the Generations Podcast, my friends. You can interact with the program by emailing me at host at generations.com. This is Kevin Swanson inviting you back again next time as we continue to lay down a vision for the next generation.